Bakersoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Mildred Keith, Episode 18 The Keiths were scarcely more than well settled in their new home when Miss Stanhope announced her intention of returning to Ohio almost immediately. This news was received by the family with something akin to, to consternation. How could they do without her? they asked. Didn't everybody need her every day of their lives? From father and mother down to Annas? Ah, oh, she answered, smiling, though her eyes were dim with unshed tears. You'll have each other, and will soon find that you can get on very well indeed without your blundering old auntie. But the question is, how shall she do without you? The old Lansdale home will be very lonely, with no little feet pit-padding about it. Then what makes you go, Aunt Wealthy? chorused the children, clinging to her with many a loving caress. I must, my darlings. There's business I have to attend to, and I feel that the egg is breaking me down. I fear that is too true, Mrs. Keith said, with a strong effort to speak cheerfully, and therefore I will not entreat you to stay, dear auntie, but rather urge your departure before the sickly season sets in. Though it just breaks my heart to think of the party, she added, hurrying from the room to conceal her emotion. But you'll come back soon, won't you, Auntie? pleaded the children. Not very, I'm afraid, dears. It's a long and expensive journey. Too long for you to take alone, Aunt Wealthy, Mildred said. I dread it for you. I don't see how we can let you go without a protector. I shall not, child. Is not the promise to me? Behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest. Yes, to me and to each one of his children, so I am not afraid, and you need not fear for me. Dear Auntie, if the Savior were here, I think he would say to you, O oh, woman, great is thy faith. My dear, I deserve no such commendation. My faith is often very weak, but I want you to remember and try to realize that this almighty friend not only goes with me when I leave you, but stays with you also according to his gracious promise. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Troubles and trials will come, and there are dark and stormy days in every life. But as thy days, so shall thy strength be. I cannot tell you, Mildred, how hard it is for me to leave you all, she continued, her voice trembling with emotion, but it would be ten times harder were it not that I know this. God is our God forever and ever, and that he will be our guide even unto death. Aunt Wealthy said, Mrs. Keith coming in again, Stuart and I have been talking this over, this resolve of yours to return to Ohio, and he says it will never do for you to attempt it without an escort. I shall be very glad of an escort if there is one to be had, Miss Stanhope answered, but if not, I must even go without trusting in Providence. But you would wait a few weeks rather than go alone? Certainly, 
God works by means, and we are to use them, while at the same time we trust only in Him. Stuart says the merchants will be going on east to buy their fall goods. He will inquire among them and let you know. Ah, oh, yes, I think I heard Mr. What's his name? Mimickery? Micker? Sneerer? Mocker? suggested Mildred with a smile. Yes, yes, Mr. Mocker. I heard him say something about it being his turn this fall to lay in a new supply of goods. Ah, uh, I hope it will turn out that you will have him for your escort, Aunt Wealthy, said Mildred, for I know that he will take the best possible care of you. But do try, Auntie, to get his name fixed in your memory. That I will, Miss Stanhope answered with a good-humored smile, for he might not fancy the synonyms of it, the meaning not being the most complimentary in the world. Mr. Keith brought home word that Mr. Mocker would leave for the East in a fortnight and would be happy to take charge of Miss Stanhope. Aunt Wealthy had always been very dear to these nieces and nephews, but now that they were about to lose her, it seemed to them that they had never realized half her worth. They lingered near her, they hung upon her words and looks, and when the time for parting came, clung about her with sobs and tears, loading her with caresses till she was forced to tear herself from their embraces and hurry away. The stage had drawn up before the gate. She hastened down the garden path, the weeping children running after. Mr. Keith and Mr. Mocker assisted her into the vehicle. The latter took his place by her side, and in another moment she was whirled away, out of sight, all drowned in tears and leaving the others in light condition. It seems just like a fernial, sobbed Ada. Oh, will she never, never come back any more? Perhaps she may, dear, said the mother, wiping away her own tears. We will try to think so at least, and be cheerful and happy and looking forward to that time. And in the meanwhile, we may hope for a letter now and then. Oh, cried Rupert, that reminds me that there's a letter in the office for you now, mother. I saw it there, but had no money with me to pay the postage. If you'll give me the two shillings, I'll run and get it now. Do so, my son, Mrs. Keith said, giving him the money. I'm sorry you forgot it and did not get it out in time for Aunt Wealthy to see it. Letters were rarities in those days, and the older members of the family awaited Rupert's return from the post office with a good deal of eagerness, not unmixed with anxiety. He was not long gone, for he too was curious in regard to it, desirous to learn its contents and who was the writer. It's postmarked Detroit, he said, delivering it to his mother. I can't think who'd be likely to write to any of us from there. Unless it might be Captain or Edward Wells, he added with a quizzical glance at Mildred. The hand looks familiar, remarked Mrs. Keith, carefully breaking the seal, then opening out the sheet. Horace Dinsmore, she exclaimed, and he is coming to see us. Oh, what a pity that Aunt Wealthy has just missed him. A pity indeed, echoed her husband, but he may stay with us some weeks and perhaps take Lansdale on his way home. I hope he won't, won't stay here long, I mean, muttered Rupert in an aside to Mildred. I didn't like him the other time, nor I very much, but perhaps he has improved. Who is he? The younger ones were asking. My cousin, his mother, and mine were sisters. Where aren't they na now? 
queried Zilla. Yes, dear, but they don't both went home to heaven many years ago. My mother first, before Aunt Eva, married Mr. Dinsmore and went away down south to live. But wait till I have read the letter, and then you may ask all the questions you wish. It was not a lengthy epistle. Mrs. Keith glanced over it, then read it aloud. His tone was cousinly and affectionate. The writer stated that he had lately graduated from college was now taking a tour to rest and refresh himself after many months of hard study, that he had arrived in Detroit, would tarry there a week, and then journey on into Indiana to visit his relatives in Pleasant Plains. This letter has been some time on the way, Mrs. Keith remarked, examining the date, and really I think he may walk in upon us day after tomorrow. Then we better be getting ready for him, exclaimed Mildred, starting up in her energetic way. Wait a little. Mother promised to tell us about him, cried the children. Yes, and we'll. There's time enough, Millie. Mildred resumed her seat, for she too wanted to hear all her mother had to tell. My mother, Mrs. Keith began, was two years younger than Aunt Wealthy, who was the daughter of my grandfather by his first wife, therefore only half-sister to my mother and Aunt Eva, who were the children of the second. Aunt Eva was five years younger than my mother, and was still single when mother died, which, as you have all heard, was when I, her only child, was but little more than two years old. Cousin Horace, too, was the only child of his mother, and quite a little fellow when she died. I was there on a time and did what I could to comfort him. We grew quite fond of each other then, and have always been so ever since, though we have lived far apart and met very seldom. Has he got a father? asked Cyril, and does he live with him? Yes, he has a father, and lives with him when he is at home, but for years past most of his time has been spent at school and college. I thought Cousin Horace had brothers and sisters, Rupert said inquiringly. Yes, his father soon married again, and has a large family by the second wife. What is Cousin Horace like, Mother? asked Ada. Wait until he comes and see for yourself, was the smiling rejoinder. How glad you look, Mother, said Mildred. Are you really so much pleased that he is coming? Why, certainly, my child. He is my near kinsman, and as I have just told you, I am very fond of him. He's like a dear younger brother to me, and particularly welcome just now as his coming will take from the dreadfully lonely feeling, and Wealthy's departure has given the house. But mother, we can't entertain him suitably. We're so cramped for room, and our house only half furnished, and he is used to living in such grand style. You know you often told me about it, what a beautiful place Rosalind's is, and how many carriages and horses, and what a retinue of servants they keep. Mrs. Key smiled kindly at the anxious face turned towards hers. Well, daughter dear, we'll just do the best we can for him, and it won't hurt him to try roughing it in the backwoods, or prairies rather, for a little while. Well, it's a little better than if he had come while we were in the old yellow house. We've had a nice porch here, and a front yard shaded with, a, with grand old oaks, and no neighbors near enough to watch every movement. 
A good many conveniences, too, added her mother cheerily, and a beautiful view of river and town. I think, too, that we can manage to give him a room to himself and to feed him well with the help of Rupert's garden, the cow, and the chickens. The expectation of this visit was a real blessing to the family, to Mrs. Keith and Mildred in especial, just at this time, giving occupation to their thoughts as well as hands and the necessary preparation for the proper accommodation and entertainment of the coming guest, thus preventing much of the sadness the loss of Miss Stanhope's loved society would have caused them. The next arrival of the semi-weekly stage brought Horace Dinsmore, his servant and luggage, to their door. Mr. Dinsmore was a dark-eyed, handsome youth, of distinguished appearance and with the air of a prince of the blood royal, yet evidently a kind man, for his servant John seemed to take the greatest pride and pleasure in waiting upon Sir Horace and anticipating his every wish. While warmly welcoming her young relative, Mrs. Keith was somewhat dismayed at the unexpected sight of the servant, house room being so scarce but the difficulty was obviated by placing a cot bed in the empty loft of the newly erected stable at the foot of the garden. How very thoughtless and selfish in Cousin Horse to bring that fellow along, Mildred said to her mother. No, my dear, not when we consider that they have always been together and neither would know very well how to do without the other. I was the thoughtless one not to remember that and expect John. Always together, mother? Yes, they are nearly the same age. John a few months older than Horace, and were playfellows in infancy. John's mother was Horace's mammy, as the children down south called their nurses, and I think loved her white nursling even better than her own children. John's affection for Horace is probably as great, and it would come near breaking his heart to be separated from him. Horace Dinsmore had paid a visit to Lansdale the year before the removal of the Keiths to Indiana. The impression he had then made upon his young cousins was not at all favorable. He was silent, morose, and seemed to take little or no interest in anybody or anything. He is not like himself, Mrs. Keith had said to Aunt Wealthy again and again. He is in trouble. Some great sorrow has come to him. But they did not succeed in winning his confidence. He rejected their sympathy, locked up his secret in his own bosom, and left them as sad and moody as when he came. He was changed for the better now, was cheerful, and showed more interest in them and their affairs, making them valuable presents for he had large means and a generous nature. Some gifts of dress goods, jewelry, and children's toys he had brought with him, and in addition he presented Mildred and Rupert each with a town lot in the immediate neighborhood of their new home. Mr. Keith, in his sturdy pride of independence, was inclined to reject these last, but his wife said, No, Stuart, do not. You will hurt her horse's feelings. The land is very cheap, the price of it nothing to him, with his large wealth. I know it is a real pleasure to him to give it to the children. Mr. Keith yielded the point and said nothing. 
Mr. Dinsmore not being a religious man and belonging to a very proud and aristocratic family, was not one to mingle with those he denominated the common herd, as his cousin well knew. Therefore only a few of their acquaintances, the educated and refined, were invited to meet him and accompany them on some little excursions, riding, boating, and fishing, gotten up for his entertainment. He made himself agreeable on these occasions, an easy thing for him to do, with his handsome person, polished manners, and good conversational powers, but soon let it be known to his relatives that he decidedly preferred exclusively family parties. After that they had only such while he stayed, which was for several weeks. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic.